Leadership is a primary extension of God's first commission for humanity to rule in His image. Because the world had different ideas about how to lead, Jesus came to model what kingdom leadership looks like. So join me, Julie Lefebvre, and my team of rotating co-hosts as we seek to encourage and equip kingdom leadership on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome to the Kingdom Leadership Podcast. This is Julie Lefebvre, and today I want to welcome Dave Mitchell, our senior pastor, to the episode. Hi, everyone. Glad you're here. Glad to be here. Glad you cleared your schedule. I had to do some maneuvering to get him here, you all. We got her done. (laughs) All right. Well, today we're going to have a conversation about vision and its role in kingdom leadership. But before we get too far, just like always, we want to take a little time to first reflect about how we have experienced grace this week. You know, when you think about grace, the Greek word there is charis. It's where we get our word charismatic or charismatic gifts. So when, when you talk about charismatic gifts, you're really talking about grace gifts in, in all that we do and in all that we endeavor in the church. Those gifts are present. And today I was I had to go into my doctor's office and he and I were having a conversation and we worked through a diagnosis and he uh, offered his prescription. And he was in there with a, a young intern, young guy who was watching over the process and learning. And so my doctor got all done with the session and then he grabbed me and he pulled my head down into his kind of into his shoulder. <laughs> he put his chin on my other shoulder and just started to pray. And you know, I I remember I mean just a, just a couple hours ago, I thought there's something happening here that isn't quite natural. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. charismatic. It's a grace gift, and um, it was just a gift to me today from a healer mm-hmm. who was healing me in more, uh, maybe in more dimensions than just physical. Yeah, it was just a very tangible expression mm-hmm. of being for and with you mm-hmm. in that space. Last week, I was in Kansas City all week, and I was taking a class, and these classes aren't usually my favorite thing to do. I love to learn, and I love to go to class, but usually I'm walking into a group of people that I don't have a lot in common with, and there's not a lot of interaction between classmates. And so I was kind of walking in a little bit guarded, and... Long story short, by the end, you know, my class was made up of seven people and it was such a sweet time. The mix of people, we were completely different. There were men and women, there were black and white and Korean, there were uh, older, there were younger. And so often when you go into those types of situations, like I said before, I would go in kind of guarded and feeling like I don't know if anyone's going to be necessarily for and with me. But throughout the week, throughout our our days and our hours together, everybody just was communicating so openly and in ways uh, that I would characterize as just very grace-giving. By the end, we were sharing some of our 
our big things that we were going through. And we just all commented on the end. This just felt a little bit like a piece of heaven on earth. That's great. And so it just made me really grateful. And really, that leads us into the conversation a little bit that we want to have today. Uh, We want to be talking about specifically the role that vision plays in kingdom leadership. And the reason why is that I was just thinking about how this year has just been a year of survival. We have, you know, we're yearning for a little bit of a piece of heaven on earth because it has just been a hard year and we have spent a year doing the next right thing and probably some wrong things in the midst of trying to do the right thing. We've scrambled more than once to make a plan. Then we've had to remake the plan and sometimes remake it again. And then we've tried to do the plan, trying to do what needed to be done And the other day I was reading an article by uh, Carrie Newhoff, and he wrote about how leaders have just spent the year adapting to all of these new realities, finding ways to, you know, where we used to dine in, now we have to take out. Uh, We used to do school at school, and now we have to do school at home. We've had to adapt from at church from group in homes to group on Zoom or sometimes outside. We've had to adjust from in-person services to live stream. Mm. We've just had so many adjustments. I feel the same way. I used to roll in and there was the coffee bar all stoked and (laughs) hot and brewing. And, you know, you come in and it's just an empty corner now. And we just see evidence all around our lives, you know, these boxes of masks all around the church building, these hand sanitizers everywhere around the church building. Uh, I remember turning rows in so that we could sit every other row and all those different uh, restrictions and all those different um, ways in which we had to accommodate for this disease, this pandemic. Yeah, we've just had to spend incredible mental and emotional energy focusing on what to do next. But I wonder if we've done so at the expense of remembering why we're doing it. So we knew what we wanted to survive, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we figured out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And a year in, we're so grateful for that. And I know that people are so ready to move forward But I also think it's important to acknowledge where we are right now, because it's just hard to push ahead without knowing where we're starting. And so just honestly, after a year of survival, how are you as a leader? I think um, after this last year, I'm a little more sad, a little more anxious, a little more tired. And maybe tired isn't quite the right word. Maybe it's fatigued. Yeah. Um, questioning. I think a little more broken in some ways and in need of healing. And, and uh, yeah, I think those are all dimensions of what I'm walking in right now. Yeah, I could echo all of those things. I think my word is exhausted, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty empty. Mm-hmm. And I've already struggled in past episodes about how I've been struggling with anxiety. And really, it's just continued to increase over the past couple of months. And it has just 
truly challenged my ability to move forward. But then yesterday, Dave, you and I were talking and we started dreaming Mm -hmm. about what could be. And we were camping out on the way Jesus did things and then just thinking about what could it be like if Mm -hmm. we continue to follow him and to be honest it was so life-giving mm-hmm. yeah and i think it reminded us both why we are fighting so hard to keep on even though we both feel so empty mm-hmm. and so today as we were thinking about this podcast episode we just thought maybe we're not the only ones who needed to be reminded of the why yeah Maybe some of you leaders uh, need to hear this. And so we just wanted to invite you into our conversation. We want to invite you to think about your why and how it fits into why we're doing things here at Westridge. (laughs) Why did we work so hard to adjust to life online? Was it just to check our group box or is there something bigger? And why did we work so hard to stay connected as a church family? Why are we fighting to be able to forgive and give grace and love people who maybe feel like they are against us? Right, right. And so to answer all of these questions, I think it will help us to go back to even the main idea for this podcast, which is called Kingdom Leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our goal is to seek to encourage and equip kingdom leadership on earth as it is in heaven. And really, this comes from Jesus's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought a lot about that. And I thought of the, I thought of the disciples' request. They said, teach us to pray the mm-hmm. way John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus said, this then is how, in how, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, you know, commentators think those two phrases, your kingdom come and your will be done, those phrases are synonymous that God's kingdom comes when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So, the kingdom of God emerges on earth when his people do his will here on earth. Maybe instead of just believing the right things about Jesus, you know, and then going through our lives relatively unchanged by his day-to-day routines, the way he lived, um, instead of treating Christianity that way, when we really do try to see His will done here on earth the way it would be if we were in heaven, somehow His kingdom emerges. Think about Jesus. Everywhere He went, He walked, talked, healed, redeemed, and restored everything that had been ruined by sin and evil. He healed sick bodies. He restored shame-filled souls. He made sure there was enough food for everyone. He sought justice and protection for powerless people. He exercised evil spirits, freed people from evil. He gave sight to the blind. He opened the ears of people who couldn't hear. 
And sometimes those are all referred to as mercy ministries. I just think them, I think Jesus would have just called them God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we're supposed to go and do likewise. You know, it just yeah. makes me wonder why don't we experience yeah. this? I know. You know, I've gone to church for my whole life, and there have maybe been small pockets of of ah, I don't I don't wanna mm. I don't wanna completely negate my church experience because right. there have been some really good parts right. to it. And yet I feel like there's something that I've been missing mm-hmm. that we're not experiencing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Mm-hmm. There's something that we're missing. I have a friend. Well, we all have this friend. Many of us do. Phil and Phil Nickel started seeing the same person in his daily routine, every day of the week. This person's name was Matthew. He was a homeless man, and he was often at the corner right around the Panera at Ridge Road, just north of Kellogg. And Phil saw him day after day and started having conversations uh, with Matthew, this homeless man. Phil goes in every day and gets a cup of coffee at Panera. And so, He started looking for Matthew, and he started pushing the conversation into the spiritual realm, and he started thinking of ways that he could help Matthew day after day. And he told all of his friends about Matthew. He told me about Matthew, and I met Matthew, and I tried to buy him breakfast. And and when Matthew stopped appearing at that corner down by IHOP and Panera, uh, it was a loss to Phil. And I think it's because he was experiencing this thing you're talking about. He was experiencing God's kingdom coming in a way that um, he hadn't before. He was present with Matthew in the ways that Jesus was often present with those who were around him, the least of these, the homeless. And this mercy ministry opened up a new avenue into something that you know, Phil felt like he was missing up until that time. It's a restoration process, the process of restoring this beautiful garden in my little circle of the world, restoring a safe place, restoring abundant provision, a place where there's love and kindness and family, where God's defining good and evil instead of me. So all Jesus' ministry on earth, it emphasized that kind of kindness, that type of generosity and care for the very least of these, hospitality for outsiders like Romans and Samaritans and Gentiles, healing for people, healing of physical and mental diseases, restoring people to their right mind. Those are all images. They're all illustrations of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was just showing us how to do what he prayed for. Well, it just leads me to the question, am I walking around with this vision for my life? Do I wake up every day and consider, I'm not just going to go to work, or I'm not going to just go to uh, the grocery store. I'm not going to just go grab my smoothie. Am Am I waking up with this idea that how can I bring healing to my spaces this year or this this day i think about the example of of phil and you know he 
he wasn't thinking about just grabbing his coffee. He had a bigger, a much bigger vision for his Mm -hmm. day and for his life. And so it just makes me wonder if I need to expand my why, my personal why to match up with what Jesus asked us to do. I think about these two buzzwords, buzzwords that are kind of in the Christian community right now. And the first one is the phrase, the social gospel. And the second one is the phrase, transactional gospel. And obviously, transactional gospel is the idea that at the center of our relationship with the Father is a transaction. And in that transaction, we come to believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that God raised him from the dead, and we are saved. That's the transaction. Our sins are forgiven, our souls are redeemed, and we get to go to heaven when we die. And I think in the more extreme versions of the transaction, this transactional gospel, after you're saved, your life really doesn't have to change at all because of the transaction, because you've been bought, because it's not by works so that no one can boast. And you can't lose that salvation because of the transaction, because no one can snatch you from God's hand, not not even yourself. You can't even wiggle yourself out of God's hand. And, And I think there's truth in both of those ideas, but it's just a partial truth. Mm. And the contrasting perspective is called the social gospel. It emerged from different kinds of Protestantism in the early 1900s, and the social gospel was an effort to put the Lord's Prayer into practice, especially the part that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, the social gospel was this movement to use Christian ethics to bring this broad cultural change to our country, yet the social gospel de-emphasized the transaction of salvation and focused on issues of justice and economic inequality and poverty and solving challenges of alcoholism and crime and racial tensions and slums and unclean environments and all these different challenges, lack of unionization, poor schools, all the horrors of war. But it didn't really emphasize this idea of putting your faith in Jesus as Savior. It kind of forgot about or devalued that part of our story. And so, for the social gospel, I guess you'd say saving faith was all about the kind of experience with God that led to a life which looked like Jesus' ministry on earth but didn't necessarily trust Jesus as Savior. And I just thought about how those two are in conflict with each other in our world. I thought about a third model. Maybe we'd call it the transformational gospel, Mm. a place where you put your faith in Jesus personally. We receive his grace, receive his love, receive his affirmation and lordship, and then respond by following into a transformed life, following following Jesus into this life that has space for the Matthews, the Matthews that Phil was talking to, receiving his grace, his love, his redemption, then offering that grace, love, and redemption to a needy world. It's a place where we're changed to bring change. And so, the transformational gospel resonates with both sides. It resonates with the social gospel. It also resonates with 
this transaction, or at least in a way it does. And then it deepens us into this place where those who want to be first must be last. Those who lead must be servants of all. It deepens us to a place where we love our neighbor as ourselves, where we don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Transformational gospel takes us to a place we can bless those who curse us, where we can pray for those who persecute us and love our enemies, a place where we don't feel compelled to take the best seat at the banquet, and we don't give special attention to the rich, where we can look after orphans and widows in their distress, where we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God, where we're kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave us. You know, the transformational gospel model brings us back to the idea that it's not about us, <laughs> that it, it, it helps us move to that place of dependence. Mm-hmm. And then out of that space of dependence on God, we can bless, be a blessing, be a light, be salt to the world. And so in some ways, I think that's just so much more powerful because anything that's done in our own strength or power, we will not be able to maintain. Mm -hmm. We just can't. We've all tried. And eventually we hit the brick wall. But when it comes from uh, the true source of life, then Mm -hmm. it's not up to us. We can just become stewards. We can become representatives of God's grace to, to the people around us. And so really it, it, it's so, you know, you read all of those things or you listen to all of that and think about um, loving orphans and widows and doing justice and walking humbly and being kind and being tenderhearted, mm-hmm. forgiving one another, just as God forgave us. And I think back over this past year and I think, ah, those things just felt rare And so when you experience those things, it sticks out. Mm -hmm. It is light. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of when Jesus gave the, the blesseds are in Matthew 5. And when he talked about blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek, he was talking about things that didn't happen very much things that characteristics of people that are not celebrated in our world and our way back when in Jesus day culture did not celebrate the meek they didn't celebrate no. the weak they didn't no. celebrate those who were uh, poor in spirit our culture today does not celebrate those same people and yet Jesus is saying we need to be looking for these people we need to be celebrating we need to be raising up these people and it's just so counter and one thing i was just reading through this today and i've never put together that the very following passage is where he says uh, you are the light of the world mm-hmm. a town built on a hill cannot be yeah. hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the same house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus is just telling us the way to be a light is to follow his way of doing the kingdom, of mourning, of being meek, of, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers and so on. And so it's just so challenged me to think about what would that look like in today's world? Does it mean, you know, what, what does it look like? Does it mean only looking for homeless people? Mm. What else does it look like? I think we're all trying to learn how do we heal people who need healing because of the healing he brought to us? How do we feed the hungry because of the way he nourishes us? And is that always with physical food or is it with the manna that comes down from heaven? Is it some other kind of nourishment? How do we serve and love and rebuild people's lives because of the way he rebuilt us? And all those questions that we have. I've been thinking about the fact that Jacob, the heel grasper, or Jacob, the deceiver, was renamed Israel, and that Israel means the one who struggles with God. And so, there's there's some inevitability of struggle that we have to enter into. Mm-hmm. And I think about, you know, the leaders here at Westridge that are going to listen to this podcast, and I want to tell you, don't underestimate the power of struggling to become like Jesus in front of your group. Mm. It's incredibly important that they watch the struggle. They watch you working. Of course, we don't have all the answers, you know, to how we can heal others, how we can bring the healing that he's brought to us. But as they watch you struggling, they, I believe, will be compelled to enter the struggle themselves. I have a Thursday morning group uh, one that meets on Wednesday nights and one that meets on Thursday morning. And the Thursday morning group, sometimes I wonder how it even keeps going. We just don't have a lot of structure and there's not always great curriculum. But somehow in the midst of Israel, in the midst of struggling with God in the presence of one another, listening to each other and speaking words of affirmation, encouragement, and love, Somehow that group hasn't just continued on, but it has thrived, and it has seen me seen men make incredible forward progress in different areas of their life. And so, I just want to tell you don't don't underestimate as leaders the power of letting people watch you struggle as you become like Jesus in these areas, areas that are very difficult to apply uh, to your life. Well, and you said something that, you know, how do we feed people with food we have been Mm -hmm. fed? And I think that's what's so key Mm -hmm. is that we're not going to have anything for anyone else until we have eaten the bread of life. And so leaders, please Mm -hmm. do what Dave said, struggle to become more like Jesus. For me, one of the things I've been learning so much over the past four months is that Struggling to become like Jesus means that I'm struggling with Jesus, mm. and it means that I'm I'm pursuing His presence at every turn. And so, I read passages like 
come to me, mm. all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And I'm trying to figure out what does that look like to come to Jesus? Mm. And then when he says, abide in me, remain in me, and I'm thinking, okay, what does this mean? And so I'm in the middle of that struggle, figuring out how do I read my Bible now with a greater purpose? I'm not reading it now to figure out how I can be a better person. I'm reading about it to be with Jesus. And when I sit and pray or when I sit in silence, it's I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to be with me. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm asking God when I start to feel the anxiety rise in my mm-hmm. in my throat or in my chest, mm-hmm. then I'm I'm inviting God to be with me. And so continue to 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 fight the fight and figure out what works for you to eat the bread that he's offering. He must increase. I must decrease. Mm. Profound process. Thank you, leaders. We're so glad that you listened in today. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.